Let us pray for illumination as we prepare for today's scripture. Loving God, open our hearts to fully understand your word. So when we leave here today, we may exemplify your teachings to all we meet. In Christ's name, amen. John 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I as a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus asked her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in the truth, for they are are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. 
Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it is still four months and still harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The word of the Lord. All right. In the spirit of today's topic, um, talking about Jesus' relationship with the outsiders, I'm going to let you in on some insider knowledge. Um, so John 4 is actually lovingly referred to as old faithful or old reliable among InterVarsity campus staff. Um, and that is because if uh, we are in a pinch and we need to come up with a large group talk um, at the last minute or we need to pull together a small group Bible study, um, John 4 is a go-to. And that is because John 4 just honestly shows up a lot in InterVarsity settings. So um, I have fond memories actually leading a John 4 Bible study as a senior in college um, with other student leaders as we prepared for a new student outreach. And that's kind of the beginning weeks of the semester or the year when we uh, welcome freshmen and new students. Um, it helped us, as we dug into John 4, it just helped us see opportunities um, for having these kind of deep spiritual conversations with new students. I also have led John 4 for um, small group Bible studies, um, particularly in small group leaders trainings. And yes, it was all 42 verses. Um, and yes, I led it in an hour and a half um, just to help the students learn what it's like to lead their peers through Bible study um, and how to apply the Bible in their lives on campus. And then I've also used John 4 actually in um, leadership trainings with my students here at UW-Madison when I was on campus with the Asian American Fellowship. I've actually made them reenact John 4, and it has resulted in very funny modern-day reenactments of John 4 that have included um, a Mean Girls-esque cafeteria with, like, clicks in different parts of the lunchroom, and then um, also some awkward, mild flirting um, at, like, a water fountain. So... I offer this not because I know everything there is to know about John 4, uh, but because uh, as I've read John 4 through kind of my career as a professional Christian, whatever that means, um, each of those times it really never occurred to me how different 
Jesus and the Samaritan woman are. They are an unlikely pairing. Theirs is an unlikely interaction. And there is a very unlikely outcome to this conversation. Now, I want to start with a little bit of kind of the backdrop here and the world in which uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman are living in and interacting in. Because it's important to note that Jews, and Jesus is a Jewish man, Jews despised the Samaritans, the Samaritan woman. Now, Jews despised the Samaritans because of ancient racial, uh, social, and religious differences. And this is not unlike um, some of the social and religious conflicts that we see today. Now, although Samaritans and Jews worshipped the same God and both used the law of Moses, they actually despised one another's places of worship and they remained very hostile towards one another for centuries. So this is kind of the backdrop or the situation that Jesus is walking into as he interacts with the Samaritan woman. Now, this is the scenario itself, right? Uh, there's the Samaritan woman, and she is alone at a well at noon. And from this statement alone, from this fact alone, this sentence alone, we know that the Samaritan woman has been shunned by her own community. You see, uh, women would actually go to the well in groups, and they would not go during the hottest part of the day. They'd probably go in like early morning or later in the day, but you know, if you can avoid the scorching hot sun, hard for us to imagine in the middle of winter, but if you can avoid the scorching hot sun, um, you would. So it's clear that the rest of the women in Sychar just did not like uh, this Samaritan woman. Now we've been exploring uh, what Jesus' relationship with others uh, look like, and today in particular we're exploring um, how Jesus engages with and has a relationship with someone who is an outsider. And uh, this Samaritan woman is very clearly the outsider. Now, when we see an outsider today, uh, when we encounter someone who is an outsider, sometimes we can get a little weird we can assume things. We can try to fit this person into a category. Uh, maybe we confine them to that category. Maybe when we see an outsider, we try to save them or fix them. Um, in these cases, maybe our pity becomes kind of overbearing. And if they are really out there, uh, maybe what they believe or how they behave is just really unlike what we believe or uh, how we behave. We might cancel them or ignore them and just hope that they go away because to engage would be just incredibly uncomfortable. And so we decide this is possibly not worth the work. Now, for instance, I have to confess that in all of my readings of John 4 up until now, I have judged the Samaritan woman. I've thought, well, there must be something that's wrong with her that she's had five husbands and the man that she's with right now is not her husband. I've put her in a box and I've dismissed her as immoral without regard for maybe other factors that are at play in her life. I've confessed that I've not thought of her in high regard. Now Jesus, uh, Jesus on the other hand, doesn't look down on her. He actually engages her quite profoundly. 
Um, he asks for water from the woman um, as he is thirsty, and so he engages the woman as a philanthropist who gives him water. Um, they have a very rich conversation around truth and the spirit and living water and places of worship, and so he engages her as a theologian um, who discusses truth with him. And he tells her who he is, that he is the Messiah, and so he engages her as an evangelist who reaches her community. He sees her and he calls her to her full potential without condescension. And in fact, he sees her story as her superpower. Stephanie Fu, who is an author and a producer and a podcaster, she's written extensively about her complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, some symptoms of PTSD include trouble regulating one's emotions, uh, difficulty trusting others, and bouts of aggression, anxiety, and depression. Uh, she's researched a lot about complex PTSD, and in one of the books that she had read on complex PTSD, uh, the book called Traumatized People, A Burden to Themselves and Others, and, quote, a minefield many would prefer to avoid. So needless to say, um, the book definitely painted those with complex PTSD as outsiders. Now, for Stephanie, she considered her uh, complex PTSD a disability and um, very much a burden. Uh, but she noticed that in a crisis, her complex PTSD became her superpower. During the pandemic, her PTSD was a survival mechanism that made her responsibly vigilant. All the work that she had done to manage her panic response served not only her, but the people around her as well. She found that as her friends were expressing like anxiety and depression and lethargy, um, she had resources to offer them. She found herself validating their experiences and their feelings and offering them resources. She realized that she actually had valuable resources that were her responsibility to share. And it turned out, in her own words, she said, I'm not a burden. I'm not a bad person. I can be a rock. So Jesus listens to the Samaritan woman's story and doesn't see deficiency, and he doesn't see a burden, and he doesn't see a problem to solve. He actually sees a superpower. Now, this conversation that Jesus and the Samaritan woman have, it touches on everything and touches on just multiple levels. It's the sort of conversation that I'm actually jealous of. Um, once, uh, someone asked me if I considered myself an airplane evangelist, uh, particularly during my days of traveling a lot when I worked at Epic. And uh, the truth is, if I'm traveling alone, I uh, would much rather be alone. <laughs> so I'd much rather read a book, watch a movie, um, sleep, uh, eat my pretzels in silence. Um, now that I'm a mom, more than ever, I want to eat my pretzels in silence. Um, <laughs> but I do secretly wonder how someone could have a conversation like Jesus is having with the Samaritan woman here. Because it's the kind of conversation that I would always point always point at with my students and say, like, look, this is the example of a deep conversation that you could have with the new student. 
So first on one level, uh, Jesus is willing to talk to the Samaritan woman about her deeply personal life. He interacts intimately with her by sharing water and promising living water. Now, um, I've actually noticed for all the ways that we're weird around outsiders, um, that we actually love stories about outsiders. Um, we've even started rooting for anti-heroes. Um, we do tend to romanticize them and dramatize them in our movies and our TV shows, um, usually from the comfort of our living rooms and through the safety of like rolling Netflix credits, um, perhaps at the expense of some of the outsiders in our lives. But I do think that we really like these stories, um, right? Like Will from Stranger Things or Wednesday from the movie Wednesday or the TV show Wednesday, um, The Mandalorian. I think we really love these stories about outsiders because a lot of us actually know about the pain that comes with being an outsider. Uh, this Samaritan woman, she's vulnerably exposed by everybody knowing her marital situation. Everybody knows her business. And with it comes judgment um, from those who don't really know her. So this time I wanted to really sit with the Samaritan woman's story. I wanted to see things from her point of view, um, maybe walk in her shoes in a little bit. And I started to realize that there was a lot more to her story. I realized that maybe, maybe there's heartbreak for her um, in all of these relationships. Maybe uh, for all the ways that people judge her and ask like, what is wrong with you? Um, she probably internalized a lot of that and asks herself like a painstaking wondering of what is wrong with me. And I imagine that there's just this desire to be with someone. Maybe there's loneliness, maybe there's abuse, maybe there are systems and structures and people who have failed her. Maybe there's constant questioning going through her mind. I'm convinced that we are re-figuring out what it means to have deep, intimate conversations like this. Um, we all long to belong, particularly in these pandemic, endemic times. Um, more than ever, we are trying to figure out what belonging really means after years of separation and loneliness. Jesus models this for us. He sees an outsider and offers not judgment, but an engaging conversation and even healing as he listens to her story. But wait, there's more. On another level, the Samaritan woman brings up the elephant in the room from the get-go in this conversation. She highlights their differences and how they shouldn't even be talking. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, she's a woman, he's a man. She brings up their fundamental disagreements and differences around the place of worship. And on top of that, we've established that she's morally impure, although she doesn't necessarily know that Jesus isn't at the moment. Um, but Jesus not only stays and has a deep conversation with her, later when the woman tells her community about Jesus, the Samaritans invited him to stay, and he stayed for two days. He receives their hospitality. He really could have made it awkward and could have been like, I gotta ask my friends here, I was only meaning to pass by. Uh, but he receives 
their hospitality graciously. Now, this is hugely significant because these are two groups of people who are unlikely to ever be in the same space, sharing the same space. It's extended beyond two individuals and it's gone to their communities. It's extending beyond Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, there's something about unlikely friendships or unlikely people coming together that makes us marvel. And at this point, I can make good use of a pun and reference the Avengers, um, but I will not. Instead, <laughs> I'm going to share fond memories of playing Ultimate Frisbee um, during summers. So to be very clear, I am not good at Ultimate Frisbee. Um, so one of my favorite sideline pastimes would be to observe the other teams and wonder how they knew each other. So sometimes I could guess fairly quickly, and I would be like, oh, those are grad students, or oh, I think they know each other from work. Uh, but my favorites, my absolute favorites, would be trying to make wild guesses as to how people knew each other, because the team would just seem so unlikely. Now, this is a relatively silly illustration, uh, because Jesus staying with the Samaritans is not only unlikely, but it's also costly. There's just, there's a lot of weight and significance between two unlikely people groups uh, coming together. And it's a foreshadowing, a foreshadowing of uh, the worship and the spirit and in truth that Jesus spoke of. Because lastly, on one last level, uh, Jesus and the Samaritan woman talk about worship and places of worship and the holy sites of the Jews and the holy sites of the Samaritans in fact, she says, our, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. The Samaritan woman brings the conversation to a very fraught topic. She brings up the Jewish-Samaritan conflict. She's talking about a history and systems that reinforce the separation of Jews and the Samaritans. Now, Jesus doesn't shy away from this uncomfortable conversation topic, nor does he get defensive, nor is he neutral, uh, nor does he allow his assertion that salvation is from the Jews to be a barrier um, to reconciliation and unity. He makes bold statements about how, that foreshadow how he will abolish uh, the systems of worship that separate Jews and Samaritans. You see, Jesus will die on the cross and introduce worship that all people will be welcomed into. In his interaction with the Samaritan woman, we see a Jesus who uses his power with grace. He restores the woman's humanity. Now, I want to end by actually turning the question around a little bit um, and ask you, who is the outsider, really? Like, is it the Samaritan woman? Because Jesus, a Jew, came into Samaria. He was alone. His disciples had gone off to buy food somewhere. He initiates the conversation. And at the time, it was considered improper for men, especially rabbis, to speak with women who weren't family. So he puts himself on the outside just by talking to her. He takes a humble posture by asking, by making himself needy, by asking for water. And actually what he says, will you give me a drink? That could be mistaken by others as flirting because meeting at the well um, 
we meeting at the well with uh, another person to getting water um, was a familiar romance motif in the Old Testament. So Rebecca and Isaac, Jacob and Rachel, Moses and Zipporah. So Jesus is subjecting himself to potential gossip. Um, like this is how rumors start. His disciples, those closest to him at the time, they can't even bring themselves to ask him what he was doing or why he was talking to the woman. But he asks her questions, he listens, and he has a conversation with her when no one else will. Jesus becomes an outsider. He doesn't make himself the same. Like He doesn't try to pretend to know what it's like to be a Samaritan woman with five husbands. Uh, but he becomes an outsider to restore the outsider. The Samaritan woman's testimony is not only listened to by her community, but it's wildly accepted as the Samaritans come back to invite Jesus to stay with them. We can confidently imagine that she's been welcomed into, back into her own community. And we know that Jesus submits himself to like the ultimate outside. He submits himself to the ultimate separation. Um, he submits himself to death to bring all people and all creation to God. Because of this, because of the grace of God and the spirit of God, we don't have to be the same to bring kingdom belongingness. We can be outsiders ourselves with our quirks and our interests and our differences. Now, this is encouraging to me because this means I don't have to have Jesus's amazing conversation skills or be particularly extroverted or try to be someone I'm not. There's someone who's gone before me, whose life I can gaze on and look deeply into and have hope for healing and restoration for myself, for my communities, and for all creation. Maybe so.